I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. Okay, we're ready? Is the air circulating enough yet? They've turned it off now. No, you've turned it off. Thanks, Steve. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Come on, let's have a go. Let's see if we can get there. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to an end. It's come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will that, much more will what is permanent have glory. I hope you're following this. I'll explain it all in a minute, so don't worry if you're not following it too well. This is quite a complicated passage. Uh, Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Um, I want to, I'm going to kind of focus in on those verses at the end there, and talk about the whole thing to do with transformation, how we are changed, how God works in our lives, how God acts in us to bring about change and to mould us into that which he wants us to be. But I want you to kind of see the backdrop to that because it's quite important because the backdrop provides the foundation for the things that Paul is talking about and also gives you some clues to what he means when he actually talks about this issue. So right at the beginning um, of the chapter there, uh, we not at the beginning of the chapter, at verse 12. Make sure I'm in the right place. Thank you. Yes, here we go. Um, Paul says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, what is Paul's hope? What is it that causes Paul to rise up, to be bold, and to make some of these statements? Indeed, what is it that causes Paul to be bold, to do all of the things that he did? 
You know, when you, when you read through the book of Acts and you see the sort of stuff that Paul was doing, um, he faced some pretty major challenges and yet uh, persevered and, um, you know, set his face towards the purposes of God and pushed through all sorts of difficulties and um, not just difficulties in terms of um, traveling and eating and finding places to stay and planting churches and all that sort of thing as well, but, uh, but also the difficulties of um, being persecuted you know, he was beaten, um, he was thrown in prison, he was stoned. Um, he, you know, there are all sorts of uh, major things going on in his life which would cause even the strongest of us, I think, to just think, you know, maybe it's time to take a break here. <laughs> maybe I'll just go back to Stapleford where it's warm and it's cozy and people love me and I don't have to face having rocks thrown at me. Uh, but Paul pressed on through all of this and was, was continually and consistently bold in his approach to uh, preaching the gospel and to seeing churches planted where does this boldness come from well he says it's since we have such a hope that we are very bold and where does this hope lie this hope lies in the new covenant this hope lies in the promises of God. Paul is bold because he, he understands that he gets to be a participant in this new thing that God is doing. And it's not that the old um, has completely kind of vanished in that sense, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in terms of what is going on now, uh, following the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we enter into this new uh, season of promises of God, the new covenant, which Paul says, that's where my hope is. My hope is in these promises that are made by God. And because I have this hope, I can be bold. Hello? Now, you know, um, the immediate challenge for us there is this, that, that we allow this world to shape our thinking in such a way that we kind of still hope in the new covenant, we hope in the promises of God, but actually they kind of sit down our agenda quite a way. Because, you know, when you start talking about um, uh, one man dying for all, and uh, when you start talking about promises from a God that most people in this world have no real connection with, when you start talking about um, where it all leads to and what's going to happen and everything else, it just sounds in the modern context a little bit out there, doesn't it? You know, uh, we live in a world where you don't believe in something if you can't touch it or see it. You know, we, we live in a world where people have kind of philosophical views on things but don't really engage philosophically with stuff much at all. And um, for us, there is a challenge there because actually we need to engage with what the scriptures are saying. We need to engage with these important things that God is wanting the world to hear and to see and to understand. We need to engage with those things and be constantly and consistently presenting those things to people. Hello? We all have a role to play in this. We, we all have a calling in this. We all have a responsibility in this to be those who will communicate the important truths of the gospel, the important truths about God to the people around us. And we should do this with boldness because our hope is in what God says, not in what the world says. We should do this with boldness because we understand that actually this is the most important story anybody is ever going to hear that these promises are the most important promises for all of our lives. 
and that we all, everyone, um, needs to engage with God and engage with these promises so that life can be what it's supposed to be and so that in the end we get to where we're supposed to be. Are you with me? And, and this has always been Paul. Now, you know, Paul has a bit of a background in this. He, he's, he was always a little bit of an on-the-edge kind of person. He was always a little bit bold, you know, before he became a Christian, before Jesus arrested his attention on the Damascus Road there. He was bold in persecuting the Christians. You know, he, he was the guy who would hold people's coats while they picked up stones to stone the Christians. Um, he, he was always on the cutting edge. He was always a little bit bold. But... It, but when he was a Pharisee and when he was doing these things, he kind of had Judaism on his side. He kind of lived in a culture where actually it was quite acceptable and okay for him to be doing that. But once he got saved, he changed teams. He moved from darkness into light. And I want to tell you, being bold in the light is much more difficult than being bold in the dark. Because in the dark, you get a lot of support. And in the light, sometimes you feel like you're the only one. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes in your workplace, in, your, in the, the environments where you spend your week, you feel like you're the only one. And boldness takes a little bit more courage. The boldness to speak out, you know, it, something more needs to rise up in us in order for us to, to deal with this. And Paul says that his boldness comes from the hope that he has. The hope that he has in the promises of God. In other words, he is trusting what God says and what God promises more than he is trusting anything that the world says or has to offer. That the stuff, and, and for us this is the challenge, that the, the, we are surrounded by stuff that wants to distract us. It wants to take our attention. It wants to pull us away from the truths of the gospel. It, it wants to take over our lives and having li- have us living lives that God has not ordained. And Paul is calling us to rise above all of this to renew our hope in the promises of God, to refresh our focus on God and uh, on what he is about in this season and to give ourselves to that even though it's going to cause some issues for us with the rest of the world. Hello? And that's the difficult part because it will cause issues. Paul had the sure hope that this covenant was a permanent, irrevocable covenant never to be superseded, never to be surpassed in splendor. And because he understood these promises of God, because he understood the magnificence, the sheer magnificence of what God has done and the absolute wonder of the promises that God has made, his hope was well and truly placed in that. And so he was bold. He was not deterred in any way by the culture that surrounded him. And don't think that the culture that Paul faced, Paul faced, Paul faced, was was miles away from where we are now because the same uh, the same debauchery existed the same um, uh, you know unruliness existed the same focus on making money and uh, making your you know making yourself richer and better off in all sorts of ways that all existed then people would trample over one another to become what they thought was better or having a better standard of living and all those sorts of things and people didn't worry about who else suffered in the process of them getting what they wanted out of life it wasn't a million miles away from the culture that we fight with today But Paul says, in this context, we are very bold. We're very bold since we have such a hope we're very bold, not like Moses. 
Now, I don't want you to think here that Paul is giving Moses a bad press. <laughs> because he isn't. But what he's doing here is he's drawing our attention to some things that we might have very easily missed in the accounts of Moses. And things which should be challenging us. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So what's that all about? Well, when, when Moses has successfully led uh, the, the people out of Egypt and they're, uh, they're in the wilderness and they're you know, on their route march around the wilderness... Um, they take pause at the foot of the mountain and Moses goes up the mountain and he meets with God and he has conversations with God and, and God tells Moses what he thinks about stuff you know he gives him the Ten Commandments and gives him instruction about how he wants his people his nation, his chosen ones what he wants all of that to look like how he wants it to be and Moses when he comes down the mountain because he has spent presence that time in the presence of God, sorry my brain's not working this morning, because he has spent time in the presence of God, there is, there is a residue about him, there is a glow when he comes down the mountain that is the result of having been in the presence of God. He has brought some of the glory of God back down the mountain with him. And because the Israelites were a little disturbed by this glow, by this glory of God that, that was kind of on Moses, Moses, after he'd finished talking to them and, and, and telling them what God had said, would put a veil over his head so that they couldn't see the glow. Now, after a while, the glow diminished and, and um, disappeared altogether until, of course, he went back up the mountain and had more conversations with God and came back with a, another glow. Uh, but eventually that glow diminished and disappeared altogether as well. Now there's all sorts of things already <laughs> that we could talk about there. About, you know, if you want to carry the presence of God, you've got to spend time in the presence of God and don't think you can just do it once and that's it. That actually, if you want to glow, you need to get in the presence. And the glow, when you leave the presence of God, will begin to diminish. And the only way you can restore that glow is by getting back into the presence. Yeah? But there's something deeper going on here. There, there is a subtext to this which Paul is highlighting. Because what Moses is doing here is he is introducing the old covenant. He is introducing the old promises. Okay, I mean, at the time, of course, it would have been just the covenant. Because there was no new covenant. It, it was the covenant. But now, of course, we look back at it and see it's the old covenant. And Moses is is introducing something that actually has a shelf life. Because when the new covenant comes, it supersedes the old covenant. So one of the things that, what, what Paul wants us to see here is this, that this whole thing about glowing and the glow fading is that actually what Moses is introducing here is a covenant that in time will fade and will be superseded by something that will last forever are you with me and in that context he's he's trying to get us to see uh, and understand that um the veil you know uh, he talks about the um he talks about the the jews and their inability to understand the new covenant he talks about their hearts having the same veil that moses wore now the the veil in this context is about vision that if my heart is veiled what is that saying it's saying that i can't see 
that I've actually veiled my heart. So I'm, in that sense, I'm trying to hang on to the thing that's under the veil, not realizing that it's transient, that it's not going to last. But because there is a veil over my heart, I fail to see what God is doing now. I fail to see the new covenant. So when Paul is talking about Moses and the glow and the veil, what he wants us to see is this, that there is a covenant that is introduced that is, that is not to last forever. Because although God doesn't change, so don't hear me say that, okay? God hasn't changed and he hasn't changed his mind. He brings something which is even more glorious, which supersedes the old covenant. And we need to have the veil removed from our hearts so that we can see that. You know, the people that we know that live in the world, that don't know God, that don't know Jesus, you know, many of them are living with a veil over their thinking. Because their hearts are veiled, they can't see what it is you're talking about. They don't understand. They're not getting revelation because the revelation can't get through the veil. And Paul says the only way that you get unveiled... I didn't even know that was an English word. My my spell checker threw it out twice. (laughs) But the Bible says that, at least in my... Um, translation it calls it unveiled he says the only way you can get unveiled is if Jesus does it the only way that you can get unveiled the only way you can remove this veil from your heart from your mind the only way you can get to a place where you can receive proper revelation of who God is the only way you can get to that place is through Jesus that Jesus is the lifter of the veil. He's the one who brings the revelation so that you can move from darkness into light. Paul has a lot to say in this context also about the letter and the spirit. He says that, you know, Moses introduced a law and, and he refers to that as the letter. Now, I, I want you to, let me say this again. God has not changed his mind. God didn't present to Israel Ten Commandments and then when Jesus came said, okay, don't worry about the Ten Commandments anymore. Just forget about that. You know, it's old school. Uh, We don't need that anymore. Don't worry about it. Let's just let that kind of fade into insignificance because now we've got some new ones. Now we've got a new way of doing things. That That's not what happened. Hello? The, the superseding of the new covenant doesn't invalidate the old covenant, but it actually takes us into a much better place with it all. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, God has not abandoned the Ten Commandments. Hello? It's still important that we honor God with the whole of our lives and love Him above all things. It is still important that we love our neighbor as ourselves. It is still important that we tell the truth, that we don't steal, that we are not jealous of other people's goods. It's still important that we don't kill and that we don't commit adultery. All of these things are still important. They still reflect what's in the heart of God. They still reflect what he wants from us, from our lives. But what Paul is saying is this, that because that law came by a letter, if you like, because it's written down and it's a letter, the the letter on its own does not help us. The letter on its own actually, ultimately, will kill us because it's too much for us to bear. Because we, in our own strength, are not able to live up to the letter of the law. We in our own strength are not able to be the people that God wants us to be. We do not have that within us. We are weak and sinful, carnal people. 
and we do not have what it takes to live out what God calls us to live out. And that's why the new covenant is much, much more glorious. That's why the new covenant supersedes what God has said before, because to his word he adds the spirit. Hello? Acts chapter 2, repent, be baptized, all of you, and then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because actually the, the new covenant, the Holy Spirit is part and parcel of the new covenant. And without the Holy Spirit in your life to help you, you will not be able to rise up to what it is God calls you to rise up to. You will not be able to become the person that God wants you to be, the person God created you to be. You are not able to do that without a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so he wants us to understand that the, he says it, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So if we're just stuck with a rule book, which is pretty much where the old covenant wound up, and I'm not convinced that was God's intention, but as man got a hold of it, and man did his work with it, the old covenant becomes very much a rule book. You know, in addition to the Ten Commandments, the Pharisees had a nice little rule book which added another couple of thousand rules uh, for you to you know, make your life <laughs> rich and fulfilled. They had... Uh, that was a joke. Okay, It's a rule book. How does a rule book make your life rich and fulfilled? Um, they had this kind of whole attitude that, that said... Uh, protect the law, build a hedge around it. In other words, they wanted to keep the Ten Commandments sacred, and in order to help you not to get anywhere close to breaking the commandments, they came up with 2,000 other rules and regulations, which if you obeyed them, you'd never get anywhere near breaking the Ten. Are you with me? And that's just awful. It's legalistic. Um, It doesn't have any life in it. And when you get to that place where it's just a rule book, it's just death. Yes? But Paul says the Spirit brings life. What does the Spirit bring life to? Well, actually, the Spirit brings life to all of it. The Spirit brings life to the Ten Commandments just as He brings life to everything else. Because it's the Word of God. Because the life of God is contained in it. But what the Spirit does that the letter cannot do is He... he, uh, imputes righteousness into us because of the cross which sets us free to be what God is calling us to be because we're no longer shackled to that guilt-ridden legalistic lifestyle where every time we mess up we have to beat ourselves up and do a, a, a thousand and one penances because of it you know before we can get back to a place where we feel good enough about ourselves to actually start talking about God again Paul says the Holy Spirit throws all of that out of the window Because the Holy Spirit, as we are born again uh, by the power of the Spirit, imputes righteousness into us and brings us to a place where we can stand confidently before God and have fellowship with Him. I was kind of expecting at that point somebody would say, Amen, or thank you Jesus. Because actually that is a life changer. That is a game changer. And then Paul says, the the result of all of this, what, what is he building up to here? Well, it's that wonderful statement that begins with, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In your Bible, it might say liberty. Whose Bible says liberty? Freedom or liberty, both good words to have there. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, 
there is freedom. That word freedom, the Greek word eleutheria, listen to this, means freedom, chiefly moral or ceremonial liberty. What does that mean? Well, what it means is this, that we are set free from the rules and the regulations. So if you were a good Jew, there were things that you had to adhere to, things you had to abide by in terms of ceremonies in order that you were clean enough to enter into the presence of God. So there would be various washings and sacrifices and all kinds of things that you had got to, be, that you'd got to do so that you were ceremonially clean so that you could then actually uh, you know, get somewhere approaching the presence of God. And what Paul is saying here is that actually where, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is a freedom, there is a liberty from that. That we don't live in that legalistic place anymore, but because of what Jesus has done, we now have the freedom, whether we've had a good week, a bad week, or an indifferent week, to come into the presence of God and meet with Him face to face and have fellowship with Him. Because we are set free from the letter of the law. Now... That doesn't mean that we forget the law because that's what God wants from us. That's kind of his um, template for living. But what we do do is live in a place of freedom, of liberty, where even though we're not able to live up to that in our own strength, we, we are no longer shackled by that and we can actually live in the continuous ongoing presence of God, even though we sin. Because we are now living under a righteousness that is brought to us by the Spirit, not a righteousness that we build for ourselves. Are you with me? Okay, that's good. We have the freedom uh, to come into His presence. We we have the freedom to be ourselves. You know, one of the things, and, and most people don't get this, one of the things that really kills us is trying to be something we think we should be, but we're actually not. And whilst the real me is probably not quite as pretty as the me I think I should be, you know, probably has a few more rough edges and uh, probably, you know, isn't quite as gracious and everything else as the me that I think I should be, actually it's better being the real me and letting the Holy Spirit work with the real me so that he takes me to that place instead of me trying to do it. Because if I try to do it, I mess it up. I get it wrong. And when Paul says there is liberty, I am actually uh, at liberty. I am free now just to be me and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in me now to make me what he wants me to be and not have that battle myself. You know, it's true that we all are incapable of becoming what we think we should be, let alone what God thinks we should be. We are totally unable to do it in our own strength. I have tried changing me. I want to tell you, it it doesn't work. It never lasts very long. It takes an enormous amount of energy. You know, just... How do you make yourself more patient? I mean, really, how do you do that? How do you make yourself more gracious? Yes, tribulation worketh patience. Um, How do I make myself more loving? You know, I just, 
you kind of get a picture in your head, if you're anything like me, of what that looks like, and you work really hard to be what you think that looks like. But I want to tell you, you just kill yourself. You just wear yourself out. It really just does not work. Now, what Paul is suggesting here is something totally different, because he goes on to say, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. That's the image of Jesus, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, we now have a freedom that is given to us by God under this new covenant to come into the presence of God to behold Him, and we'll talk about that in just a moment, to behold Him. And as we behold Him, He works in us to do the things that we cannot do for ourselves. He brings the change. He does the molding and the shaping and making things better as we behold Him. Now, let me just, I'm just going to take a few minutes and then I'm done on that verse 18 there. We all, with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. First of all, we all. Um, the word all there, pass, uh, in the Greek, means the whole. In other words, you can't do this in isolation. In other words, if we are going to put ourselves in a place where we allow the Holy Spirit to engage with our lives and shape us and mould us, we need to do it together. In the context of community, in the context of fellowship, that's where the Holy Spirit does this work. And, you know, it's a, if we are going to behold His glory and have that glory affect us, where do we see that? Now I know, you know, some of us get visions of heaven, visions of glorious things, and we we see those things in the spirit, and that's great. Um, but that doesn't happen to everybody. But but the Holy Spirit wants to engage with everybody, to change everybody. Um, how does that happen? Paul says that we all, with unveiled face, so together in community with the veil having been removed by Jesus, we behold the glory of the Lord. So we together, with, with our hearts unveiled, because we have received Jesus into our lives and he's removed the veil, behold the glory of the Lord. Now how does that work? Because we don't all have wonderful, you know, rapturous visions of glory. Um, we don't all see the gold dust falling as has happened in some places. You know, we don't all see shining lights flashing around. The room. We don't all see those things. They don't happen everywhere. That's why we don't all see them. So what does it mean to behold the glory of God? Where do we see that? Well, I want to suggest to you that there are a number of things. The first thing is this, that as we worship... And particularly as we pay attention to the words that we're singing as we worship, our focus is drawn to the glory of God. Now, you might not be seeing flashing lights or gold dust falling, but your attention is drawn, your focus is drawn to who God is and what he has done. We're very, very careful about the songs that we pick here to use for worship. Because I will not have songs that focus on me. I want songs that focus on God. 
on who he is, on his glory, on what he is like, and what he wants, and how he behaves, and all of those things. So that as I am singing, I'm not just lifting his name up, but I am building within myself a picture of who God is, and what he is like, and affirming that, and reinforcing that in myself. So that's quite important. But it's very difficult to gaze on somebody who is unseen. Isn't it? Okay. So let me help you with this. The word beholding there, uh, let me see if I can get this right. Kaptoptrizomai. Okay. Kaptoptrizomai means this. To mirror oneself, to see a reflection, to behold as in a glass. In other words, one of the key places where we can behold the glory of God is, wait for it, in one another. That's why fellowship, community, is important. Because we can see the reflection of God in the midst of his people. How do we see that? Well, when somebody does something that reflects who Jesus is, we see Jesus. Hello? When somebody says something that reflects who Jesus is, we hear Jesus. And and when Paul talks about beholding, he's not just talking about glorious heavenly visions, but he's talking about what happens right here and now in this place when we get together and we behave how we should, the reflection of Jesus starts to appear in the midst of his people and we can see his glory. We can see his goodness. When we look around, we see walking testimonies of the goodness of God we see reflected the wonder and the power and the love and the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness of God in each other's lives and we and it builds in us a picture of who God is of what God is like that will work in us as the Holy Spirit takes a hold of that to transform us because what does Paul say he says as we all with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, as we get this picture of who God is, and as we behold it, as we dwell on it, as as we allow the Holy Spirit to take a hold of this and do his work in us, we are changed. Hello? You know, it's it's a common philosophy in... um, in leadership circles when when teaching and training people who are emerging into leadership one of the things that is very often said is this and it's true find somebody who you want to be like and spend time with them the people you choose to be around are the people who will impact your life the people you choose to be around are the people who will influence the sort of person that you become So, if you want to change, if you want to develop, if you want to grow, you must choose carefully who you spend your life with. And Paul says that as we come together in fellowship and community to worship together, to behold the glory of God, part of that being around one another, you know, will actually cause us to grow and to be shaped. Now, there's two challenges there, isn't there? One is, um, you know, 
I hope you're actually concentrating and, and giving some focus to your own life and sorting that out so that when you're shaping others, you're shaping them well. But also, you know, allowing myself to be touched by the goodness of God in other people's lives, to let that touch me and to shape me. You know, God doesn't force this on anybody. We have to engage with it. And the Holy Spirit comes to help us to engage with it. And as we engage in worship and as we engage in fellowship, the Holy Spirit uses that to mould us and shape us degree by degree, Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. In other words, he's got us on a journey which step by step, little bit by little bit, will take us to that place where we truly reflect, reflect in our lives the glory of Jesus. That's the journey. That's the plan. That's the point. That degree by degree, we are transformed so that we reflect the glory of Jesus. Let me just read this passage for you again and then we'll pray and go and have some coffee. Just uh, 2 Corinthians 3, I'll just pick it up from verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who had put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's stand and we'll pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you love us as we are, but that you love us too much to leave us that way. Thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose, that our lives would come to that place where we reflect your glory, where people can see you in us. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us on that journey. We just uh, afresh give ourselves to that journey. We give ourselves to you and say, Lord, will you help us? Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you come and work in us? Will you come and change us from one degree to the next that we would bring glory to Jesus? Will you help us, Holy Spirit? Will you mold us? Will you shape us? Will you use the people around us, Lord, to, to manifest something good into our lives? Will you use the people around us to challenge us? Will you use the good things and the more difficult things, Lord, to just bring shape to our lives so that we can become like you from one degree of glory to the next. Holy Spirit, we just we give you permission to do your work. We invite you in to do what it is you want to do. And we pray that as you take us on this journey that Jesus would be glorified and that many lives will be changed because they're touched by who we are because the living God is at work in us. 
And now pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would draw close to you, that his face would shine upon you, that you would know his favor, that you would know his peace, now and all the days of your life, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.